Hello, Detroit and the world. Welcome to a very special episode of Authentically Detroit, broadcasting live from the Audio Wave Network studios on the Lower East Side here in the city, powered by the East Side Community Network and sponsored by none other than the Ford Foundation, now a content partner to BridgeDetroit.com. I'm Donna Givens-Davidson, and Orlando is on a much-needed vacation today, so I'm doing this solo, but not alone. Um, we're joined by a special guest, um, which I'll talk about in a minute. But thank you for listening in and supporting our efforts to build a platform of authentic voices for real people on the east side of Detroit. We want you to like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast on all platforms. We drop a new episode every week, so be sure to turn on those notifications. Today, you're, we are joined by an amazing new colleague, Daryl Earle. Director of Eastside Community Network Stoudemire Wellness Hub. Prior to joining ECN, Daryl worked for over 20 years in public service with his longest stints in the Wayne County Prosecutor's Office and the Detroit Land Bank Authority, where he racked up numerous awards for his public service in the Detroit community. In addition to these service jobs, Daryl is also a comedian with over 20 years experience, appearing at local comedy clubs like All Jokes Aside, Coco's House of Comedy, One Mike Stand, Tiffany's Comedy Club, Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle, and Yuck Yuck's Comedy Franchise in Ontario, Canada. He has TV credits that include Robert Townsend, Partners in Crime, and BET Comic view or what is it? it was comic view comic view okay somehow i did not type this out correctly <laughs> he has performed with lavelle crawford last comic standing chris porter also last comic standing mike bonner def jam bay area competition winner john panette comedy central colt and coco clear channel radio daryl Welcome to ECN. You're Yay. one of our newest um, staff members here. Yes, yes. And welcome to Authentically Detroit. So glad I finally made it to the podcast studio. You, yeah, I know, right? Uh, we tried to get you before, but you were on your way out of town taking your daughter back to Cornell University, right? Oh, yes. My daughter's a junior at Cornell University. Uh, so I know you are proud of, of that, and your pocketbook is also... Um, Ex expressing its pride by That's you right. know, sharing all, all of its resources, of right? All of that. Yeah. Who'd have thought a kid from a 2.5 GPA from Mumford High School have a kid at Cornell? Well, you know, listen, um, that, that's what's supposed to happen. You pass it upwards and you pass it. And actually, you married really well, didn't you? Well, yeah, she's pretty smart. My wife's a PhD candidate. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Look, I, I, I got a thing for smart people. No, you know, listen, you are like one of the cutest couples I know. And it's so wonderful. How long have you been married? Uh, we've been married just a little bit over 21 years. 21 years we've been married, man. And, and um, uh, my wife is my best friend. Yeah. Yes, because she told me so. So, <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> yeah, I, I, you just love to see it though. Um, black love, and it's not just new black love; it's long-standing. You've been able to raise children. I know marriage and life. Um, and part of the way you deal with marriage, though, is through your humor, right? Absolutely, because she is now. Actually, she's the funny one. Like in in social situation, she is hilarious. You know, I would love to do. I'd love to see you all be funny together. I'm gonna have to arrange that somehow. Oh, Oh yeah, and I like. I would love that too. It could go off the rails. Now we've been married twenty one years. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you sit down. I want to hear from her. She's got some jokes. I know. <laughs> okay. Yes, but I love it, man. I love my wife. I love my life, and and so I'm so proud of my children, man. I, my last one 
is 17 years old. He's a senior this year. So thank goodness he is on the clock. As a matter of fact, we have a year-long Ed timer in the hallway. Count down his days. He's got one in his bedroom counting down his days, too. He's, you're looking forward to him leaving, but I think he's he's looking forward to it even oh, more, right? Do you remember God. those days when you were, a, you know, you said he's a senior? Yes, he's a senior. Oh, yeah. Do you remember being a senior in high school? Maybe it was just me. But I had a calendar, and I just had... Every day I was marking off, and I was at some point just living in the future. It was hard for me to do anything right now because I was so ready for next oh, stage. Yeah. I could. I now I remember those days because you know at that point a kid is like irritating to, to like try and parent because they're like they're like I'm ready to be on my own. Mm-hmm. Like no, you're not. And I I remember that days like I hate this house. Yeah, I can't wait till I leave. Anytime you got mad, that script would be running through your head like, I cannot wait to leave this house. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> then I'll be like, look, the next week, like, Mama, yeah. I need $20. <laughs> <laughs> then you get out there on your own and you miss the protection and all of that. It's like, wait a minute, I have to buy toilet paper? All of that. <laughs> I thought that was free. <laughs> I went through all of those stages and thought, you know, God bless my mother, man, because she... She did it all because she was a mom dad. So, mm. you know, she she was she was tough. She was loving. But, you know, she's a mom dad. Mm-hmm. So she really couldn't like, you know, put a whole bunch of mommy stuff on a teenage boy because I was I wasn't the most disciplined uh, young man. I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, because the thing is, though, people say that women cannot raise boys to be men. And that's so untrue. I agree. That is people not can raise children to become responsible, loving, giving adults. It may make it harder and you may need to expose people. But mothers like your mother, mothers like my grandmother mm-hmm. remind me that women always have had to do that sometimes, whether they lost a husband to, you know, um, you know, death, early death, or whether they got divorced and the f- husband stopped coming around or whatever things took a man out of a child's life. Yeah. Um, let's give honor to those mothers like your mother who raised a young man and did not pretend or did not believe that she did not have what it took. Absolutely. Don't give Absolutely. up on your son's mothers, right? Absolutely. And thank God for the village because, you know, we, we grew up in an era where, you know, the village like sold into kids that wasn't theirs. And, you know, that was one of the things that, that really kind of drove my, my work and my passion is like, look, sowing to people so you never know what happens when you plant a seed you may never see that seed grow but you know you planted it you're taking my lines oh oh, sorry my bad give it back that's yours yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) i invented this concept no i I totally agree with you that you never know what happens to a seed and a lot of times you plant a seed and you figure it's wasted yeah right it's not your job to determine what happens to that seat after the fact. So I absolutely agree with you. And um, it is absolutely the village's responsibility. The village is still here in so many instances. There's so many wonderful people out here. You know, all of the coaches, all of the yes. um, people who stay after school with kids. There's so many wonderful people still on the block. And we have them on the east side of Detroit. So yep. hats off to them. Daryl, how was your Labor Day weekend? I, I, I'm a little bit jealous, so I'm afraid to ask. Tell me what you did. It was not that exciting, but we spent a weekend uh, at Millican Marina right okay. next to the Aretha. Um, a bunch of my boater friends, we, we rented slips for the weekend, and we stayed down there at Millican Marina with our 
our Millican boat owners, and uh, it was a wonderful group of older boaters. I, I like older boaters because you know they they're responsible, they're mature. You know, there's no twerking. I mean, one lady tried, but you know, she had a hip replacement, so she had to cut it short. But <laughs> that, we had a great, great time. It's always good to have fellowship with folks with like minds, man. Define older. So older, I'm 56. Some of, uh, some of us are, yeah, okay, go on. Yeah, I'm 56. So the older folks over there are like, you know, 72 and, and, and lower. You know? remember when you were 26 and 56 was older? Oh, my God. What? Oh my God! Fifty, <laughs> I was like fifty. Anything at twenty six, like bro, that's so old. <laughs> I thought fifty, uh, fifty and up, like you always had all your shoes had Velcro. I'm like, you know, you old. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys were down there at Milliken. Oh man, having a not so exciting. No, week. we had a wonderful time. I Listen, know you did. I knew you were lying. Go we on. We did. We had it was a ball. It was lit. All right, let me let me stop lying. We went to the Jeezy concert uh-huh. on Friday, so we watched Jeezy from from the boat, and and Jeezy didn't get on stage until uh, eleven thirty, and so my middle age kicked in about ten forty five. So now Jeezy comes out, I'm knocked out. I no one, I don't know a Jeezy song. And you know how to. You know how so ra- you went to Milliken with a bunch of people older than you to go see Jeezy. Uh, man, that, that sounds like a great plan. The entire boat was like, hey, the captain woke. <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious, but it was a beautiful night on the water, and uh, we had a great time. Fish fries and barbecues and just having a good time. We actually took advantage of the river walk. And, you know, the river walk is, is beautiful. You know, I do have one critique, like, you know, for, for the boating community, it would seem like, you know, the city planners could work with Army Corps engineers and, like, design out some ways in which boats could dock and go to restaurants, go to bars, and kind of monetize that riverfront. Uh, but, hey, never mind. You, you you and me both. I don't really understand some of the decision-making there. No. Um, and I think, you know, part of it is that the Riverfront Conservancy is a nonprofit and there's this thinking around um, what needs to happen that is really based on um, values and needs and desires that don't incorporate boaters or people who are looking for different kinds of experiences. Um, it's very conservative. Like, we don't want people to party too hard down here. Right. Come exactly. down here and have fun, but not too much fun. No, not too much fun. But you, you know one thing, you're going to walk. <laughs> <laughs> you are. I love the river walk. It's one of my favorite places. It is beautiful. I actually prefer, I, you know, the Dequinder Cut is my favorite part of that whole community. I love the Dequinder Cut. So Yeah, they, to say the Dequinder Cut has like this, this hints of Detroit creative culture in it. And mm-hmm. so these splashes of like, uh, graffiti art on the walls and like this crazy lighting and it's just it's kind of got a vibe of its own and I love that like it's got an organic vibe to it I like stuff that is organic like this manufactured culture is just you know that just doesn't really fit the vibe of the city right? Uh, in a lot of instances like for some hey, that's the thing but like what ma- what's manufactured culture like, uh, let's see like a, a like hops farms and beer gardens and you know, it's nothing not to knock it, but, you know, like kind of massage that into the fabric of the existing community. A lot of things that I see development wise kind of like parachuted in and like, hey, community it's here. Like, I mean, I'm not against bike lanes, but 
you know, we looked up and there was bike lanes everywhere. But, and they're not well designed. And so they have bike lanes. If, I don't know if you've noticed in front of our office, there are bike lanes, but they're redesigning Connor. And there's going to be some weird stuff on the other side. I still don't understand what's happening when I drive down Kirchville. I know it's probably good, but I don't really understand it. I need... Maybe they need to send owner's manuals or resident manuals so we can understand how to use all of these new um, byways because no it makes no sense to me. What I see is that the bus stop is going to happen and there's going to be a bike somehow near that bus stop, but I'm not sure how it's going to work. And I think that's where you have participatory design where people in the community can lay out their values Um there's nothing necessarily wrong with the beer garden. People actually go to the beer gardens and things like that, but it's which people and who are we designing Detroit for? Um, the beautiful thing about the Riverwalk is everybody's there. Yes. At the DeQuinter Cut, there's somebody, everybody's there. It doesn't feel as though maybe there was an intention to attract one type of person, but you got mm-hmm. a whole lot of people there and they're all occupying the same space and, you know, sort of, you know, coexisting. I don't see a lot of conflict no. whenever I've gone down there. So it's a beautiful Detroit experience. But I agree with you. It could be more fun. There's two issues. One, it could be more fun and two parking. Yeah. Um, you know, so yep. you didn't have difficulty parking your boat, but um, unfortunately, I arrived by car, and it's a little bit more difficult. Yeah, extremely challenging. Yeah, extremely challenging. But hey, I give them a for effort. But yeah. that's about it. So, you know, I mean, I just think as we move forward, inclusive planning is has got to be our pathway forward, and we've got to demand it. It's one of the um, jobs that ECN um, tries to take on, and we're going to continue taking that on. And saying, as you plan out our community, talk to us and include us, not just as passive recipients, but we've been planning around here for a long time. And we have ideas of things we want to see, yep. like many other people. So, um, yeah, that's that was your weekend. So mine, um, the exciting thing I did last weekend, well, you know, I just we were just kind of chilling. I don't know. We didn't really do anything yeah. terribly, you know, exciting. We went for a bike ride. Um, you know, we had a actually Warren Connor reunion. Oh, that's awesome. Um, that had to Network be wonderful. Is Warren Connor. And so several of us went to Maggie's house and, yeah. um, you know, had a great time just really interacting with each other and, um, you know, teasing Maggie a little bit, um, you know, because she brought us all together and she supervised all of us, everybody in that room at one time. But it was great fun. Right? It was a potluck and um, it was it was great. So really uh, I know the, I know you had to share like, you know, the the trajectory that Eastside Community Network is on now. And, and like, curious, like, what are their thoughts about that? Well, you know, several of the, to come to Warren Connor is really hard to get away. So Angela's one of the founders. She was the deputy director when I started working here in 1993. And she's our chief operating officer right now. Mm-hmm. Mark Owens was on the board when I started here in 1993. He actually replaced me as deputy director for programs before leaving the organization, going to the Samaritan Center, and he's still on the board. Wow. Um, Orlando Bailey. Well, you already know he um, is our co-host here. He has yes. worked at ECN, and then we let him get far away. So he's now on the board of ECN. And Darnell Adams um, used to work at ECN, and he's now on the board of ECN. So um, it's safe to say people weren't really surprised. Maggie was... Um, was um you know is is contracted to do a lot of the planning for the style we'll get into that in a little um bit yeah. um but i you know keep your friends close 
Absolutely. And I don't believe in keeping your enemies closer. I believe keep your friends close right. and um, keep your enemies out. <laughs> hey, look, I think I, look, that seems to work real oh, good. Yeah. I, that's a sound advice. And yeah. look, if you're an enemy, don't, don't why the hell would yeah. you bring somebody? Yeah. But when <laughs> you, when you keep your friends close and you make friends and you um, connect with people and you try to do good, I think that your enemies don't find a pathway in. Yeah. Um, you know, they have to be invited in. So it was really a great uh, reaffirming um, thing. I will say um, Danielle North was there. And Danielle is part of the planning committee for mm-hmm. the Stoudemire. Charlonda Buckman was there and Karen Brown was there. So we have all of these people who are not just, you know, um, superstars at ECN or Warren Connor back in the day, but just superstars in general. And we talked about the fact that people used to call it Warren Connor University. Mm-hmm. And there are so many people in so many places in Detroit, people you know and don't realize came through here yeah. who connected because we were all sort of given this shared vision of service. Maggie was a very demanding boss. Um, she that strikes me as odd. <laughs> you're working with Maggie now, right? She was a very demanding boss, but yeah. you know, really, there was it was the kind of place where either you got really good at what you did, or you didn't last a long time. So not go. everybody stayed, and a lot of people didn't stay left, but stay connected. And so that was the real highlight of the weekend, other than um, watching the movie Respect. Oh, um, I really love that. Okay, I really love that. Detroit's own Aretha Franklin. Detroit's own Aretha Franklin. You know, um, I, I I thought that Jennifer Hudson just did an amazing job Is of right? um, of portraying her. People complained about the storyline. Either they said, "Well, there's not." They left out a lot of things. Like, I don't need to see all of her warts in a movie. There you go. So here's the thing about people. They want to see the they want to see the, the underbelly. Like, yeah, but let's let's tell a story and, and it conveys something other than like, you know, you're praying for the downfall. It's not. It's just a story. Look, every story don't need I don't need to see every word in somebody's story. Well, you know what? The thing is people want other people's stories told that way. Yeah. But not their own. Uh, <laughs> okay. Come you on. tell my story, you can leave a few things out. I'm exactly. just saying you don't you don't need to go word by word. You can skip a decade or two Dude, if you like, need to. Right. Skip that year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> don't even show a picture from that year. It was not a good one. Okay. If you live long enough, all of your story doesn't need to be told and a lot of it has been in the news i think that what they did really encapsulated her spirit and her strength and her voice and her just brilliance as a a musician and you know compassion and work as a person you just saw it i even you know so i i feel like each time you do a biopic you can learn a person better anyway i enjoyed it that's I really awesome. did enjoy that it. That is awesome. We, uh, that's one of our must-sees. We want to see that. All right. Well, definitely see it. And I want to hear what you think about it. So, um, okay. So, we have a new segment in um, Authentically Detroit. We tried it out last week, and it's called Hot Takes. We're not going to ask you to read over a newspaper article, but we want right. to talk about things that are in the news. And it. today, and you know this because your wife is a principal, assistant principal, today is the first day of school, and the Mew variant for COVID-19. Lord have mercy. 2021 school year has started today. In person. In person. Mass or no mass. Well, some school districts, it's mandated. And thank goodness. And in Detroit, it is mandated. Yeah, please wear your mask. Uh, I don't understand. Um, Again, just the thinking like your liberty and your freedoms you know, that's you as an adult, and you can make those decisions. But your children, who aren't even eligible to be vaccinated at this point in time, 
Why would you want your children to be at risk of exposure? Because well, it's a political statement. I, I think and, that the reality is that we have different factual information and we're operating from a different set of facts. Some of them are real facts and some of them are invented facts. But, you know, this disinformation campaign is so strong. There's no parent in America who says, I want my child to get exposed to COVID-19. Right. Okay. But what parents are operating out of is sometimes um, ignorance, mm-hmm. where they've been told things like masks don't really prevent the spread of COVID. Yeah. Or masks are not necessary in school. Or other countries don't use masks. Why are we? Or oh, yeah. children need to be able to look at the whole face of other people in order to be socially developed. And it's it's all of these other things. And so if you actually have bought into all of these lines of reasoning, then pushing a mask on my child when the mask has not been proven to work, pushing a mask on my child when you're impeding my child's social development feels like oppression. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And because we don't have anything that we can all agree on as science and truth in America, it's problematic. And it's even made worse to me because now there are all of these variants. So you already have Delta. Right. And Delta spreading like wildfire. Mm-hmm. Um, the number of people dying and being hospitalized across the nation is as high as it's ever been. Yeah, I just saw them uh, earlier today in the news pro- uh, program that Florida recorded like uh, an insane amount of new cases and deaths uh, in this last week. Yeah. Well, it- they still don't believe... I. There are people in Florida who still don't believe it's a problem because, again, they're listening to people who say, oh, no, these numbers are inflated. They must be dying of other things. So it's like, so are you telling me the people are just rapidly dying of other things coincidentally at a time when COVID-19? Right. Um, and, it, and some people don't believe it until it strikes home. Um, so it's a, a real problem time because whenever you cannot agree on a set of facts, and it's not just COVID. Right. It's climate. It is everything about politics. We cannot agree on anything to come together as a collective. And so the question I have for America is, what is your future? Where where do you want to go from here? Either we can act in a collective way to promote public health and good things. We're all off on our own, just, you know, a bunch of cults and religious groups believing our own thing. And nobody has to be accountable for one thing. Mm, And and that's a disunited states. I mean, I don't see where... We can agree that, like, look, the public health, you know, is should be a a constant. Like, if I can help my neighbor, and if this is a little thing that I can do to help my neighbor, thus help myself, why would I not want to do that? Right, because there are people who have found it beneficial to their pocketbooks or to whatever their religious or crazy belief system is to make people believe that these things really don't benefit their neighbor. And, or, you know, there is this um, kind of heightened self-interest, this individualism, this lack of concern for other people that's also a problem right now, where even when you know other people are being hurt, that's their problem. Social Darwinism, well, you know what? If these people wanted to live, they would do different things. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, um, I'm hoping that things will change. But with the mu variant, what I'm thinking is that um, some people are saying it's more contagious than Delta. It's been around since May. It's in all 49 states, but Delta remains the predominant 
um, won the spread. Yeah. And so I think that um, hopefully we're going to get a handle on it. Now, the interesting thing is that, and I don't know whether this is good news so far and it's about to get really bad, but Michigan does not seem to be going the way of other states in the, the nation. Um, That's good. Where our numbers are not in, d- increasing. In fact, over the four-day holiday weekend, they seem to have either gone down a little bit mm-hmm. or stayed the same. And, you know, part of that is Michigan was the worst in the nation. Was that in February? Yeah, it was it was bananas in February. Yeah, so, I was terrified. Right. So we, we kind of peaked early. And I, I wonder if different states peak at different times. And if you peak, does it come back to you and you're going to peak again? I'm hopeful, cautiously hopeful that we're never going to get as bad as we were. Remember, Detroit was terrible oh last yeah. summer in 2020. It was it was it was a very traumatic period right. um, to be um, one in Detroit. But certainly, you know, it w- one of the things that was traumatizing, at least for me personally, is looking at the the numbers and, and as they increased over week to week to week. And there was no, there was no vaccine option. There was nothing. So we were just, we were just dangling in the current. Yeah. And no shore in sight. You know, and there was no um, Regeneron. <laughs> there was no Remitosphere. There was, we don't know what's going to take. Donald Trump was recommending people drink bleach. We were left with like bleach or. Ultraviolet lights. Ultraviolet lights. And there was, you know, people were being put on ventilators, possibly even ventilators who didn't need to be on ventilators. I think there was just this lack of understanding of how to treat the disease. And now, you know, I'm I'm so grateful that I have family members who are hospitalized, not young people, mm-hmm. elderly people who went to the hospital and came home. Thank and God. so I, I see that hopefully this means that our system is getting better at treating things. I, I, I'm an optimist by nature. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be unrealistic. We're still continuing to... Um, you know, push the whole logic of vaccines. Yeah. Not just two, but at this point, three. I'm going to go and get my third sometime soon um, because I think, you know, getting that booster shot is going to help. Um, vaccines, and if you're not going to wear masks, vaccines, mask, and frequent testing. Yeah. I mean, the thing of uh, you don't want to wear a mask and you don't want to get vaccinated. Well, was very few options left. <laughs> right. And um, so I don't have tolerance for people who do nothing. And I definitely think we should be masking in schools. And I definitely think we should be pushing back against pseudoscience. And I think every single news organization has a responsibility to tell the truth so that people are not allowed to operate with their own set of facts. But exactly. that's where we are right now. We're at a place right now where people are allowed to believe, depending on which news net- networks you listen to, and what newspapers you read, a whole different set of facts. It reminds it's me of crazy. those earlier times. Remember when um, President Obama and, in 2004 was addressing the Democratic National Convention? He said "There's no, there are no red states, there are yeah. no blue states, there's the United States of America. I remember that, that very well. That seems so quaint, doesn't it? Oh, my God. Seems like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> those, those were the days. <laughs> Somebody else said, leave it to Beaver era. <laughs> So listen, that that wraps up our hot takes. Um, you know, it's been a crazy, crazy week as a crazy period. Hats off to every single teacher, including our very own Jonathan Galloway from yes. uh, um, the Audio Wave Network. Jonathan, give yourself an applause. Yes, John. Yes. Um, 
Where would our young people be without teachers? Where would our society be without people working in schools to make sure our young people had the educational and social structure to develop them in spite of everything? And I'm hoping the young people are learning the kind of facts in schools where they go home and they tell their parents, mom, dad, you're wrong. This is what I learned in science class today and you don't know what you're talking about. That's how we ended smoking um, in public places and reduce smoking in our community. And maybe we just got to start with the kids. Yeah, Um, I mean, it it very well may be that the kids can certainly lead parents to think differently and do differently. Yeah, so hopefully they're going to learn some things in school. So anyway, um, (laughs) if you have pieces that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can email us at AuthenticallyDetroit at gmail.com. So, Daryl. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Um, can you tell us about your career in community service? You've done a lot. Give us some highlights. Oh, Lordy Jesus. Yes. Yeah. So, I have been uh, committed to, you know, service and, and community service and working with um, the community uh, since I began my career way back when. And I, I started at the county um, in 2000 uh, working in the prosecutor's office. And that was Fortunately, my mom, and this is this is my mom. She cl- took a newspaper clipping out and showed me that they were offering a class in paralegal studies in 1988. Mm. And at that time, I had kind of blown my options. At I had well intentions when I went to Michigan State. You know, some people went to Michigan State, and some people was at Michigan State. Well, I was at Michigan State, but that that's another story. The fact is, my mom said, listen, you should look into this paralegal school. And fortunately, I went to paralegal school and my instructor, Bill Hunter, he uh, had a school called Michigan Paralegal Institute. And I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do with that certificate. But at the time, I was working at a downtown law firm and I had my vision on becoming an attorney. And so I did do that. And and working as a paralegal um, over the years, I was fortunate enough to be hired um, by the county at the Wayne County Prosecutor's Office. And I was so fascinated by criminal justice and, and the workings of it. And, you know, I had this law and order view of what it was like to work in a prosecutor's office. Let me tell you, it's nothing like you see on TV. Mm. I mean, I got a whole new dose of reality and that really lit my fire to say, listen, somebody's got to be out in front of the community waving their arms saying, listen, this thing is a machine that will gobble you up. And it's particularly our young boys and girls. And I saw it day in and day out and day in and day out. And I talked to the judges and I have we have some very good, compassionate community-oriented judges, and they're here to serve. But their job is, you know, they have a thankless job because you have to administer justice. Uh, And so one of the things that that I was committed to was working in the schools and Mm -hmm. working with Detroit Public Schools as an in-class, in-school mentor. And I created a mentorship program that had a curriculum over six weeks, and we just talked about the one-on-ones of community I mean, of uh, criminal justice and what that looks like at a community level, like what it looks like in the hood. Like, it, like, like give kids an understanding of like what happens, where your probable cause. I'm not saying like you challenge officers on like, hey, I know my rights. I think that's a wrong approach. I think you should like listen, comply because you're not going to have court on the street. <laughs> 
So those were some of the like the the one on ones, the basic things like what happens when children or young people come into contact with law enforcement. Like what are these things like? situations that I saw a lot of our young people putting themselves in what, you know, what started out as a ride in my friend's car. Oh, that's not your car. I didn't know that. Oh, there's a gun in the car that I didn't know wasn't yours. So those are type of things that are everyday occurrences, but that was kind of my thing. It really, I found a lane and I was able to connect and speak to young people because I was a them. And I didn't have a voice and I didn't make a lot of mistakes. Um, thankfully, thank God. My mama would have tore me up. So I wasn't criminally um, minded. I wasn't criminal minded. I was a, a mischievous young man, like a lot of young men. But a lot of actions that, that our young folks, you know, do, take, partake, you know, they criminalize a lot of actions and activities um, for a lot of our children and peers across other lines in communities for same type of things and actions aren't criminalized, they're understood. They're let's take a look at them. Maybe there's therapy. Maybe there's counseling. Well, when you start with a belief about the basic humanity of a people, right? Then, when something goes wrong, you give them the benefit of the doubt. Right. When something goes wrong, you say, "Wow, I don't expect that from you." Yeah. But when you begin with a belief about the basic inadequacy of a people, mm -hmm. then, um, you know, it's never surprising. I always liken it to the difference between, let's say, a standard poodle and a pit bulldog. Right. If right. A, if a standard poodle gets aggressive, you think maybe I better take this poodle to the vet <laughs> because mm -hmm. there's something wrong. But when a pit bull gets aggressive... It's showing its true nature. I always knew it had. Oh, it became one of those pit bull dogs. You've got to put it down. It starts with that. And culturally, black kids are seen in the same way that pit bull dogs are seen, unfortunately, in our society. And that is inherently dangerous unless you do some things to fix them. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And not inherently good unless you do some things to break them. Yeah. So um, that's the difference, you know. Um, and especially black male kids get seen that way. And that's the reason why in schools you have the imbalance on discipline. You know, a black girl screams and she can be thrown out of school for having a bad attitude. A black boy screams same thing but when white girl screams i say what's wrong yeah there's that and, and 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 it's not me i mean you can disagree with me but the data will show you that there is an over punishment of black kids in the exact same schools white kids sometimes to the same offenses yeah and you saw that i used to tell kids when i worked with them that if you are hanging out with somebody who um is has a gun in the car and they commit a crime you committed a crime yeah right so Yep. If you participate in fighting somebody and somebody kills that person, yep. you committed murder. Yeah. Even if you just threw one punch because you were part of the crime. That's the way the criminal justice sees young people, isn't it? That is exactly. And those scenarios, I mean, I had a, a case that illuminated those very things that you just said. And to show, like, you know, these young folks serving life without, patrol, without parole. And they weren't even the actor. Yeah. They were in the presence, in the company of that actor and a young man who was the actor pled out. Yeah. Or, or, or hired a good attorney and got out. Yeah. Right. 
And the kid that had nothing that didn't, took no part in it, but was present, public defender, didn't really have a, you know, a, a, a whole lot of investment in this case because the caseload is so voluminous. Mm-hmm. And you got this kid to play it out and say, well, who was there with you? Well, he was here. He was here. Well, we only offered one plea deal. Yeah. I mean, that's just a sad reality. It's like this grinding our community up like a meat grinder. And I was like, really, I took it personal to say, listen, if someone's going to sound the alarm, let me. Like some folks subscribe to, if I just reach one, I've done enough. That's a, that's a sad statistic to me. If I miss one, I could live with that. But if I only got one, there's something wrong with my, my whole approach. Right. And, and, you know, and the problem is that's not you. It's the system. And so you find yourself trying to bail out a sinking ship with a coffee can. And it's like, wait a minute, it's still sinking. <laughs> Did it ever feel like that? It always felt like that daily. And it was just crazy. So think about those opportunities. Like, what do we do to change those paradigms? One, understand what you're involved in. One, understand what's at work, the dynamics that are at work, the the systems that are at work, and the uh, systems that don't work. And is it, is it that they're working for some and not others? Is the is the break in the system part of a larger theory, a larger narrative? So again, you start to think critically about like what are we involved in here mm-hmm. and so I, I had a political philosophy class at Wayne State and one of the things that stuck out in my mind in this class I never remember I'll never forget it it's this thing called system justification and system justification is really a justification for those in the in-group slash power mm-hmm. to justify their actions to remain in power to those who are not in power or in that out group to justify the treatment or mistreatment of those in the out group because, again, it poses no threat to those in the in group. Well, that's the reason why so many people are fighting critical race theory, right? Because if, in fact, all of this is true, then I don't deserve my privilege and I can no longer justify my privilege. So I have to somehow um, rewrite this thing because it's racist to assume that my race is not better than yours or whatever the hell that is. Right. So you left um, the prosecutor's office after how many years? I was there for 13 years wow. and that was a, that was a, a wonderful run. I enjoyed my stay there. Right. We had an opportunity to work with you when I was at um, Youth Development Commission. Yes. We had a partnership with you and YDC. that's how I met you. You were, you knew my sister growing up, but that's how I met you yep. was at um, YDC. Yep, with Robert Counts. With Robert Counts, that's right. <laughs> so, um, And then you, I saw you again in a whole nother role. You were at the Detroit Land Bank Authority. It was incredible. It was a crazy pivot, but you know, one thing about um, being a, a lifelong Detroiter is you know the city and you know the people in it. And so I knew the city and I, I have a fascination towards development, community empowerment and community economic development. And so I was hired into the Land Bank Authority um, as a closing specialist. And so I thought, you know, I worked at the prosecutor's office. I work in the drug house unit and I kind of oversaw their auction program uh, when the now mayor was prosecutor. Well, it's, it was really like a micro version of what the land bank is now. I mean, it was like supersized it now. But I was like, I've done this. And so they had to say, well, okay, this guy had done this before. He kind of show us the way. Well, okay, that was fine. And I enjoyed the work. But, you know, there was some other things that, that I wanted to do to be more impactful 
at a community level. And so I transitioned my role into project manager. And I was working with our faith-based partners and our community-based organizations to like initiate and activate land and spaces around them. And, and I was, I got great joy out of that work is, you know, working with a pastor or working with the ED of a small nonprofit and like, how do we make this vision uh, become something real? Uh, I'll tell you what, real short story, Tammy Black with over at Manistique Block Club. Uh, she was one of those small mom and pop, non startup, community based, but she had a vision for her area. And, and she showed it and shared it with me. And I looked at what was land bank assets in that footprint that could support it. And we began, like, start small. I always tell all of them, look, start small and grow big. Well, Tammy did. She took heed to that. She started with two two lots. And she grew it. And she got um, some, grant, some grant funding. She did a project with uh, Charles H. Wright Museum with their solar light or their solar park project. Uh, so those are the type of things that I enjoyed doing because I knew that it was going to have immediate impact and transformative impact at a community level. And th- so I really am I mean, like passionate about like, let's improve what we have. Don't let people tell you that what you have and what you're sitting on has no value. And then you go for the banana and the tailpipe. And the next thing you know, that those same houses that they said were not worth saving and not worth salvaging. And now they're 120 to $200,000. I looked at that, Mike, my my grandmother's old house in the North end, you know, it sold at the Wayne County treasurer's auction for like $5,000. Guy bought it, lost it. An investment company came in and said, we now the North end is kind of, you know, catching fire. So now they, they're re, they're gutting that whole house. And as soon as that house is finished, it'll be a two-family unit uh, listed somewhere at like one hundred and fifty to $200,000. Absolutely, at, at least that if it's a two-family unit. And we're, we're not really ready for that conversation in Detroit. Um, so many people have given up and gone away, and they're chasing greener pastures other places. And if and when they decide they want to come back to Detroit— they are locked out because the communities are too expensive. And so um, people say there's not gentrification in Detroit because there's a lot of affordable housing. Well, some of those people need to go look at the kinds of housing that remains affordable and ask yourself, "Hmm, is that gentrification or not? Like if the only homes that I would choose to live in are homes that are not affordable to the average Detroiter who makes less than $30,000 a year in household income. Mm -hmm. If the average home is not affordable to that person, that is gentrification. If the homes that are affordable are substandard in terms of quality, and I don't have access to the resources to bring them up to a livable standard, that is gentrification. And so we're seeing it in our midst. And the Detroit Land Bank Authority has the capacity to stop that. With all of this inventory, there's no reason why people don't have access to inventory and why the Land Bank Authority is not working with the planning department and um, housing HRD to create housing that is affordable. My, but that's my, not a priority of the city right now. Have not seen that happen. Right. Have not seen it happen. And, you know, part of it 
and I say this just about every week, is how you evaluate success. If success is the maximum number of people, as many people, when you maximize the affordability for people who live in your community and the quality of housing for the people who are here, that's one way of looking at success. But if success is you're measuring the increased value of the property, that, that, that measurement is dependent on pushing some people out and bringing some other people in. Yeah. And then going back to your beer garden conversation, bringing in the kinds of amenities that those people you're trying to bring in are desiring, right? So um, if you ask a lot of young people or people in the community what they want, they might even say a basketball court. Right. Okay. But if you ask other people what they want, they may want a beer garden. And it's a whole different way of doing it. And by the way, you're not going to put a beer garden in the hood. Because you don't want those people drinking beer outside. Right. So that you get a ticket in here and, and some other place. It's like, oh, this is such a great place for us to do it. So yeah. there's also this, you know, disconnect between who we want to be outside having fun with beer and who we think is causing problems because they're outside having fun with beer. See, and there's that part right there. Because you can't drink beer at Belle Isle. Right. <laughs> unless you're at the DYC or in a private event somewhere. You can, just can't drink beer at Belle Isle, but you're, we're building beer gardens anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. I want to move on because I really want to talk about ECN. Yay. And you coming to ECN. Yes, yes. And what brought you here and um, what's it like? Oh, my goodness. Let me tell you something, guys. This has been a, an amazing ride, man. And I tell you, God is real. Um, so, so just to summarize, like, what started this this path is I was laid off for the land bank as a as a COVID layoff because we were working remote, and they had uh, saw no need for a community relations department, and that was a department in which I was the manager of. But long story short, God knew what He's doing. I was laid off for fourteen months, and and for that fourteen months, I refused to panic. I refused to let go of having faith, and I knew that he was gotten me through a lot of storms, and I knew that this storm was going to come to an end. And and the thing about it is, you you get good when you are good. And the thing of it is, I was always intent on being a good person, and being a good person led me to a good person. And so, me and that good person, we connected. Ie, I'm talking about Donna, y'all, but. <laughs> it was a, almost an immediate like we were picked up a conversation that we were having that we hadn't even had yet because I, I got it there was no selling of anything it was like an understanding of everything and so she and I began to talk it was like oh my god I can't wait let's make this thing super size it and let's make this thing big and so my road to ECN thank god he led me here in this moment because again I didn't want a job. I had, you know, I was on Indeed and LinkedIn looking for a job. But what it is that what I needed and what satisfies me personally and, and as an individual is to have a mission. And so now I'm, I'm settled into this mission that 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 I'm on, and it's a shared mission of a shared vision for a shared community to say, listen, this is this is us for us. And, and it's going to speak us. And that's one thing about being here for the period of time that I have, that there's a genuineness 
there's a a trueness, authentic an authenticity about the folks that walk through these doors and serve this community. And and one thing that that really confirmed that was two things. The Juneteenth event, I think it was like my third or fourth day here. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I'm new. I'm the new guy. So I know I can't be like, well, I ain't, I'm doing something else on Saturday. I like the new guy better show up. So I, I showed up on that Saturday. But what I saw when I got here was how all the team members here at ECN jumped into action. Nobody was standing around waiting to be told what to do. Folks were busy doing stuff that they saw needed to be done. And that thing, that told me everything about this organization. Because when you have an organization where your folks want to make sure that you succeed, that says a lot, one, about the leadership, but two, about what that value of that organization is in the community. Because with very little publication, we didn't have a whole long runway to publicize a Juneteenth event. And that thing was packed. Yeah, COVID pack though, y'all. I mean, not socially pack. distanced. On, we pack. were socially distanced, yeah. <laughs> but luckily we have a large facility, and that brings us to. And thank you for all of that good stuff, Daryl. It really has been a real connection. You got to speak to the folks that day, and they received you and the vision that we talked about. The vision for what? The vision for the Stoudemire Wellness Hub, situated here at the headquarters of Eastside Community Network at forty four hundred one Connor. We are creating an oasis on the east side of Detroit. I promise you, we are reimagining what a community center is and does. And thank you, Donna, for the vision and letting me kind of just like let it let it grow. Let's because we're intent on making this super sizing it. Yeah, this is going to be beautiful every day. There's something new. There's a new element. And look at God. Like, there's a new element. We were standing outside looking at a patch of grass that's outside the door of the space that we have identified for a children's room. And looking at it saying, wait a minute, why don't we have a playground here? <laughs> and I went home so excited. I said, Kevin, you have to come back to work with me so I can show you this new idea. <laughs> he <said>, okay. <laughs> What did I do this week? And I showed Kevin our playground. Right? We got a playground <laughs> got for a the babies. Playground for the babies. It was just really exciting. I mean, we're looking at land and everything like that. But can you kind of just describe some of the highlights of what the Stoudemire Wellness Hub is uh, is right now for the community? Because we're already doing things. Yeah. And then what are we going to do? So, um, funny thing, well, not funny thing, but well, responsive thing is the the Stoudemire. Uh, before it was even a thing in the community, we already had like immediately to respond to the flood of June 25th. We we transformed our tech hub into a resident uh, a, a resident service area for those residents who needed assistance filing their claim forms with DWSD or the Great Lakes Water Authority or FEMA. If you didn't know how to, we had staff on here walking you through it, helping you through it, but as a resilience hub. And see, the thing about this, the, the Stoudemire Wellness Hub is that it encompasses wellness in as many different forms. And part of that wellness is how do we position ourselves to respond to crises that occur in our community? And I have to say that we transform immediately. It was a quick pivot to like, listen, we have to respond to residents need help now. There's no form that you can fill out when folks need help right now. Folks need it 
cleaning supplies. We were we were right there with cleaning supplies. We contracted with some of our partners to help residents with basement cleanouts. We provide meals for folks. I mean, we provide transportation for folks. These are things that we do now. And that, that's that's under the umbrella of Stoudemire, but it's also under the umbrella of caring about our community. And that's the thing that that I want folk to really understand is that this organization cares about the community. And we're not going to be uh, waiting to say, hey, listen, we, we need you to fill out this form and we'll have somebody get back to you. If you have an, a right now need, then you need right now help. And that's what we are right here to do is to be right now help for those folks. So that was what we did in response to. But now what we're going to do, this is the happy part. This is where we get excited. So we're going to have when we open these doors of the Stoudemire. Right now, of course, I mentioned the tech hub. But we just got in. Uh, we're getting in our fitness uh, equipment for our fitness studio. We will have a fitness studio for those residents to come and have access to a quality facility to work out and get cardio and get uh, get their body moving, strengthen their bodies. Because what we recognize is that there are a lot of deficiencies in the area. So why not be the space that, that gives people access to all of those things that promotes wellness? physical wellness we have a fitness studio we have a dance studio for those that want to dance that stress off we have an art studio because art is therapeutic and art is and, and, and letting out those creative energies is something about that that we recognize as a healing thing now in addition to that we have our butterfly community room that will be coming online we have our children's we have a our, what are we going to call that you know, I we don't gotta know yet. We got to give it. We got to call it something. Yeah, that's it. We're to be determined. Okay. <laughs> but no, it's going to be somewhere for your baby. So if you want to come into a dance class, you want to work out, you want to do something graphic art design in our tech hub, or you want to do a, a uh, we can't call it painting with a twist, but it's going to be some fun stuff. Painting with a spin. <laughs> <laughs> You all, you just don't know, man. We're transforming this space right now as we speak. We got our new flooring in. It looks amazing. This is going to be a place that celebrates art, culture, wellness, community. I mean, this is going to be your house, y'all. Yeah. And it's, I'm so excited to be um, at, at the very head of this. Yeah. So, yeah, we're excited to have... Um, Daryl here leading the way oh um, because the vision was so big. It was just too big for me running Eastside Community Network to really give a lot of uh, detailed attention to how do you not miss out on opportunities to good, do good things. You can't be slowed down by your own availability. And so, you know, bringing in somebody who could just take it, run with it, and his, what he says, supersize that vision has been really exciting for us. Um, I want people to also keep in mind that we are in the midst of so many crises and calamities in our community. It's not even funny. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with COVID-19, Mu, Delta. Somebody said we're going to have the whole deni- divine nine soon. So, um, you know, we don't Lord do something Jesus. serious. Um, we're, we're in trouble and, and we need to figure out how to get our health together. We need space for people to get vaccines, testing, correct misinformation, Give be a source of truth that people can trust so that you don't have your own facts. Yes. There's really only one set of facts. 
and you don't get to own you you know they say you're entitled to your own opinion but not your own facts but unfortunately there are many things that are being perpetrated as facts in our community right now and so i'm trying not to be judgmental in the fact that some people are believing these things because being judgmental doesn't really help anything right but we've got to try to rein this in. So that's one aspect. And we do have plans. We've made partnerships with the health department in our events. They're going to do rapid testing. Yep. Um, they're going to be administering vaccines. And we're doing something new where we're going to be rolling out. Um, what is it? Um, we're going to be rolling out consultations before vaccines. We're yes. working with the Detroit Health Department, Henry Ford Health Systems, and also medical students at, Hem- at Wayne State University Healing Between the Lines. Amazing young people. And, oh my goodness, I'm so excited <laughs> about that partnership. So that's just one of them. Um, some of the other things that keep in mind that we're dealing with these heat waves. Yeah. And we may be at the end of the heat waves for 2021, but the heat wave problem is not just I'm hot and I'm uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, we had an event here the other day, and I was really hot and really uncomfortable and I could not wait to come inside into the air conditioned space to cool off. I was sweating so hard my dress, the whole back of my dress was wet. And you weren't even moving. No, I was just sitting there and I'm just wet. And so um, luckily I was wearing a black dress and nobody could really see it. But that was what was happening, right? And as I was standing there walking in, waiting to come in and cool outside, I thought about the fact that there were some people who had nowhere to go to get cool. Yeah. That this hot uncomfortable unhealthy weather was something that they could not deal with other than a fan and when you have 90 percent humidity a fan is not going to increase the level of oxygen in the air it's not going when to you have 90 percent humidity drinking water is not going to be able to increase the amount of oxygen in the air in fact it can create cardiovascular crisis people mm-hmm. need to know you need somewhere to get cool that kind of heat index is not healthy especially if you're moving yeah. And that is the purpose, role and purpose of having a wellness hub is a place of resilience so that people can go somewhere away from home. Yep. But if you're sitting in your house, most people, your average person is not going to want to go somewhere when they're hot and sweaty. I don't want to go anywhere. I want to stay here. First of all, I don't feel like going anywhere. I may not have a car. Mm-hmm. I may not have transportation. I don't know the people there. I don't know what's going to happen when I get there. So the value is we want you to be so connected to our space that you think about coming here like you would be to go to your cousin's house. That's go right. to a family home. It's not a strange place. We need to be able to bring vulnerable people, people who have vulnerable heart and um, lung conditions to our space so they yep. can be healthy, right? The other issue is, unfortunately, after this super hot summer, they're expecting a frigid cold winter. And there are people on super cold days who either don't have heat or don't have enough heat to be warm, especially in those frigid days. I don't know if anybody remembers a couple of years ago where people were asked to turn off their heat because there was so much draining of the um, the the gas or something like that, that they that there was this feeling that if if people don't lower their temperatures or turn off their heat for a while, nobody's going to have heat. Do you remember this? I I think it was 2018, the winter of 2018. It was a that was a brutal winter, and was, I remind that. And it really were like folks like set your thermostats. If everybody mm-hmm. set them to sixty five, you know, yeah. the, it won't be so much draw on the grid, right? And you know, sixty five in some people's houses. So the idea is that we want to create a space for people to come here. And the good news is that we have transportation. Yes, 
That's the really good news. And then finally, if you don't have electricity, we're getting a generator until we can get solar and battery backup so that we have electrical power in the event of a blackout and a brownout. And we can bring you here. You can call. You you can already call and get a ride to get the things that you need. Um, It is our way of trying to take care of a community that is under-resourced. So our community members have a place to go. And so I'm just really excited about um, where we're headed. Um, The kind of support that we're getting from the foundation community is unprecedented for ECN. It's been amazing. It Um, has been amazing. Every time I have something new, and I'm not going to start naming them now because I need to have my list together. I don't (laughs) want to leave anybody out. Right. But I want to say to my folks, thank you for embracing this vision and investing in our people. Um, Certain foundations have come through and then come through again and again and again. And a vision is nothing without partnerships. And we have amazing partnerships. So stay tuned because once this vision is more fully in shape, we're going to give you even more information about what we're doing. Oh, my goodness, you guys. It's it's been phenomenal. It's been a phenomenal ride. And the train is just leaving the station. Yeah. So it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful event. Um, Oh, speaking of event. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Eastside Extravaganza is coming up. Well, it's homecoming weekend, right? Yes. So, um, speaking of supersizing it, sometimes <laughs> we have to shut me up. It's like, Donna, whose idea is this? Yeah. It's like, we don't want to have one day of events. We want to have three days of events. We're coming Let's home. Let's do it. And the, the Eastside Extravaganza is coming home to ECN's property. Yeah. Our home on the Eastside. It'll be a dressy event. Not formal, dressy. You can still look good, but you don't have to wear an evening gown. That's right. right? I would not be in an evening gown, I don't think. I don't know. Um, But you don't have to wear an evening gown, but it's going to be on our grounds, and it's going to be great. We're still going to have Larry Lee. We're still going to have a lot of entertainment, great food from, um, from... Oh, a taste of diaspora. A, taste, a ta- taste of the diaspora, which is the um, Bao Bao and um, Idrick Goudes. Yes. Can't think of the name for... Um, Gabriel Hall. Yep. Gabriel Hall. So it's going to be amazing food, not just great food, amazing food. We'll have drinks. It's going to be fun, dancing, um, an opportunity for you to really connect. And also we're going to have um, be um, rolling out our first art ex- exhibition by John Bunkley, who has about amazing 40 artist. pieces of art that we're going to be on display here for the, that weekend. On Saturday, the Eastside Family Face, if you're an Eastsider who has been connected to Warren Connor for a while, you might even remember the Eastside Family Face. That used to be at Pingree Park. But this year, we're going to have DJs. It's going to be, you know, some house music. We're going to have children's activities. And we're going to be in a new space that we're unveiling on that day, which is adjacent to Eastside Community Network. There's about an acre of green space next to us that we're going to be utilizing for a lot of our outdoor activities. Yes, it's going to be phenomenal. Oh, food trucks. Food trucks, that's right. um, uh, Marketplace. Oh, man. Game, game. We're going to have some video games for teenagers who don't want to leave the house. So our intent now in order to come, you either have to be vaccinated, have a recent test result, negative test result within two days, or we're going to have rapid testing that day so that if you get your rapid test negative result, you can come in. Yeah. If you're positive, we know where to send you. And we're going to give you a care kit. We're going to have masks and COVID care kits that we give to everybody. And people will be masked up while they're out here. Yeah. That's on Saturday. And on Sunday, it's our memorial prayer prayer, um, picnic. Yep. So we'll have some, open it up with libations from Akibalan. 
Can't wait. I love the Keep Alive Village. Oh, man. my goodness. The Keep Alive Village is so amazing. It's so really in libation so we can recognize the people that we've lost. Prayer from local clergy mm-hmm. um, who are going to help focus us some song along with that That's prayer right. for some gospel music, a little bit of that. But then after that, picnicking with your community and we're going to have um, karaoke. Yeah, yes. community karaoke. karaoke. So we're if you can sing, come on. If you can't sing, come on. We need somebody to laugh at. If you can't sing, <laughs> we really want you to join us and listen to those who can. Like, you, you will never see me go anywhere near a mic. No, if you can't sing, but you think you can, welcome. But if you know you can't sing, um, you don't have to feel obligated. Yeah, unless you want to. <laughs> unless you want to. Unless you want unless to. Unless you want to. Like like I said, if you, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> like I know I can't sing, so I'm not going to even pretend that I can. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's one of the exciting things that we're unveiling. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Um, tickets to the extravagance are on sale, but Saturday and Sunday are free of charge. Thanks to a generous gift from Huntington Bank, our title weekend sponsor. So Huntington Bank has made two days free and one day you pay for a sit down dinner. And of course, a dinner, you have to be fully vaccinated to sit at the table and eat with us. That's right. Yeah. So, man, it's such exciting times here at Eastside Community Network, man. I cannot wait until the extravaganza weekend, the homecoming weekend, all the festivities. But more importantly, I can't wait to see you walk through the doors of the Stoudemire Wellness Hub. Yep. So I want to um, thank you, Daryl. This has been great. Um, we, I feel like we have this conversation every day in the hallway, and now we're on Authentically uh, Detroit. Right. <laughs> but if you have topics that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Authentically Detroit, or email us at authenticallydetroit at gmail.com. So, shout-outs in closing. I'm going to shout out Orlando Bailey, the Emmy Award winning Orlando Bailey. He can't stop me from saying that today, who today (laughs) received the Spirit of Detroit Award for Detroit City Council for his Emmy and all of his service to the community. Well, well deserved. Very well deserved. Young man with us. The star is rising, young man. That's right. And, um, you know, we still claim him, Darnell Adams, at his first day at Rocket Community Fund as the executive director or president. I don't know your exact title, Darnell, but Darnell, you are the man. You are a bright rising star. superstar. Right. And, you know, he came through here. He's on the board of ECN, worked with you, Daryl. Yes, he did. And um, has just been nothing but a shining light on the east side, having helped start the East Warren Development Corporation, where they're developing Warren Avenue and just bringing his gifts to our community through Invest Detroit. Um, so we're really happy for this latest opportunity for him to really guide this and having somebody who really knows and loves Detroit guiding the fund that the um, Gilbert Family Foundation is going to invest in Detroit means a whole lot. Absolutely. So we are so blessed to have so, so many talented young people who now begin to start that road. They're shining, starting right. to really shine. And you right. can't dull it. Congratulations, gents. Yes, and it takes all of us. And then I also want to acknowledge um, the loss of a great Michael K. Williams, um, who lost his life yesterday. Um, He was um, one of my favorite characters um, in in, um, The Wire. Um, Omar was one of the most memorable characters in The Wire, somebody who gave the whole show heart. Man, what? Yes, he was a phenomenal actor. Yes. Phenomenal. And from what I'm reading, an even better person. 
You know, it's great to have somebody who has great skill and then you read about them and it's like, ooh, didn't want to work with him. But all of the people who worked with him absolutely loved him. And so he was as lovable off screen as he was on screen. It takes a whole lot to make the scariest dude on a show Right. Be lovable, and you're like sympathizing with him, like, oh, you're connected. Uh, He's got the shot, shot, shot your and he- face off, but I like that dude. Right. He's whispering, "The farmer in the dell." You'll never hear that song again the same way. You know, he was able to do that and bring that to life, and he was one of the first people to really fill out and flesh out a gay character of strength not yeah and he was a strong gay man and i mean they were very open about it but not you know unapologetic with that yeah they it, showed him loving men yeah and it was not like obnoxious and like not forced it was just like this was like a natural character well, and it made it real well you know and i don't know what you mean by obnoxious or forced i mean it was just like you know how sometimes you like like the writers of, of a lot of programs like really like over drizzle a, a character to the point where it's like, okay, come on, dude. Well, okay. We'll agree to disagree on that. Right. Well, I'm just but saying. I, you know, because I think that the reality is that there's underrepresentation of so many people and there's certainly underrepresentation of gay characters on yep. television shows. He was a, a well-represented person and I celebrate every time people are represented well, because whoever Agreed. you are, you should be able to look in the world and see yourself represented as a whole person. Yes, and ma'am. what he was, he's represented as a whole person. And um, so it was very sad to know that he lost his life. And certainly from um, somebody said it was not through a drug overdose, but if there's fentanyl in the drugs, it was drug poisoning. And I think that's a really important way to look at it that, you know, if I intend to take one drug and you poison it with something else, that's not what you call an overdose. And I kind of hear that's what's happening. Whatever it was, we miss you. We honor you. Chalky. Thank you so much for all of your wonderful roles. Thank you. You've just done a great job. Thank you. Anybody you want to shout out? Well, I got a shout out to my wife. Uh, today was her first day as a principal at, uh, what's her school? It's in Pontiac. Harriet Harris, Harrison Elementary School. Very first day. Oh, so, so she's got a new job. Yes, she's now a principal. Uh, oh, a very wow. small K through five. So she's, she's principal for the baby. So she loves it, man. So, so proud of her. Uh, so yeah shout out to my wife shout out to her I didn't realize that she had that new job that's wonderful yeah God is good man it's winning season so I'm going to enjoy winning season while we're winning oh so you guys were celebrating yesterday (laughs) she was just trying to get in a last this past week in a last gas before she got real serious (laughs) (laughs) it's serious but so thankful for for the opportunities that um, you know we've both been presented with and uh you know, I hope to continue to grow and grow and grow. Uh, and Donna, I'm a I'm a ride or die with you. No matter you got me now, so we, we riding or die. We gonna hit well, it. We're, we're gonna ride. You know, listen, we're gonna ride and fly. There we um, go. Ride and fly. I'm really excited about that. I just want to shout you out, JG. I'm so excited about your role. I want to shout out Nicole Perry, who is our Man. chief administrative officer. Nicole has been making it happen, and she sent me one more email this weekend for what was happening in the building. I'm like, girl, do you sleep? Um, Nicole has so she many things hard. going on. She goes hard. Um, shout out to Morris. 
Otis and Otis oh, who are man. painting our space right now. We've got great people. I want to agree with Daryl. We have great people with purpose. And if I talk about some people at ECN, you almost have to talk about everybody because everybody just brings their A game to the job. So shout out ECN. Yes, ECN. You guys rock. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for listening and catch the wave. Catch the wave. Bye, y'all.